Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you been seriously injured? Mama Justice is here for you. Our medical team partners with top-notch doctors, surgeons, therapists, and urologists, ensuring a comprehensive recovery journey. If you've been injured, call Mama Justice today. We're here for you. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. morning, everyone, and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbert, and today I'm at the Jackson Convention Center for the End It For Good remote Rhino Safe and Sound back at Super Talk headquarters. We'll be guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this Friday Eve. We have made it to the eve of the last day of the quite busy week, which we have had. It's been a good one, of course, remote yesterday up there in the Delta in Greenwood, Mississippi, Ace, Bolt, and Screw, great Mississippi company, their grand opening of the new store in Greenwood. Lots of activity, lots of customers on hand. Of course, they're fabulous, the vendor partners as well assembled around the parking lot we also enjoyed a little catfish lunch rhino from cock of the walk nice uh, yeah uh, houston was good enough to get me a, a basket just before they shut it down really appreciate that uh, the store is actually located in an old fred's department store that's what it's in and it is uh, so well done so well laid out and i think will be an asset for sure to the Greenwood area and the entire Delta region of the state of Mississippi. Down here at the End It For Good convention, we've got Dr. Randy Easterling on the program at 1020. That's in the next uh, segment. I caught a little bit of his speech moments ago inside the convention hall. Representative Lee Yancey will wrap up hour one of middays at 1050 at 1105. We'll hear some, uh, during the second hour actually, we'll hear some from folks, some uh, folks that have experienced uh, the scourge of, uh, of drug addiction, that uh, know a lot about it and how to deal with it. Mary Beth O'Connor, retired judge and author, she'll join us at 11.05 and then at 11.50 it's Dr. Deborah Mash, a neuroscientist and inventor. And she's one of the world's foremost experts on the anti-addiction drug, Ibojane. Did I say that right, uh, Rhino? I-B-O-J-A-I-N-E. G-A-I-N-E. Ibojane? Either Ibojane right. or Ibojane. Yeah, I'll find out from the doctor. And then at 12.05, kicking off Hour 3 of Middays, it's Sam Creekmore. He represents District 14, which includes Union County. You recall... I believe he joined us earlier in the year 
when we were in New Albany. That's his his district. Brendan Cox, retired police chief, police chief, will wrap us up on middays down here at the Jackson Convention Center. We are inside today, Rhino. The rain is not falling down on us. Actually, we had the benefit of the iconic Super Talk tents. Had to, had to have a couple of them to keep the the rain away. From the set, we had plenty of towels. We were wiping it down because sometimes with the wind blowing, that rain was coming in sideways. And we were having to empty the water collecting on the tents, as were the many vendors who had set up as well. Lots of stuff going on around uh, these United States today. Let's start with uh, some news from here in the state of Mississippi. The final race has been called Public Service Commissioner. For the Central District, it has been called uh, for Representative DeKeither Stamps. The Democrat has defeated incumbent Commissioner Brent Bailey, the Republican. As of Tuesday afternoon, 97% of the precincts in hand. Stamps had a 2,134-vote lead over Bailey. Stamps at 50.4%. Bailey, 49.6%. it has been called. And that's where we are. So Mr. Stamp said we're spending more time talking with lawyers about potential election contests and paying people to sit in courthouses to watch people shuffle paper rather than transitioning into office. Every day we are not transitioning and preparing makes us less effective come January, which puts us farther behind the other two commissioners who have been transitioning since the primary. It puts the central district at a disadvantage. Well, uh, one thing that we should take note of, uh, Rhino, is we got three brand new public service commissioners, correct? The northern, central, and southern districts now have commissioners who are, are rookies. They've let's all be honest. turned over. <laughs> They're first timers in this role. Now, I'll share something that uh, I think the state ought to seriously consider. Why do we elect public service commissioners and transportation commissioners? I. I honestly believe those should be appointed positions and not uh, elected, Uh, especially when you consider the party affiliation of uh, such offices. Does that matter? Does it matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat? Even Central District Transportation Commissioner Willie Simmons frequently says, you know, roads and bridges are not Republican or Democrat. I agree. So then why, why do we have primaries and go to the polls to vote for these offices. I just don't know that that makes sense. I'm not even sure it makes sense to elect the state auditor, the state treasurer. It's just some thoughts. These are primarily administrative positions. They're not policy-making positions. Uh, They pretty much have to follow policy and statute and law and really don't have a great deal of, uh, of purview outside of that. Now, they may argue that, and that's fine. I just wonder, though, if it makes sense for us to continue to uh, go to the polls to elect those offices. Just something to think about. Up there in the uh, the Capitol in Washington, you recall Rhino yesterday, it got a little rowdy the day before we had Michael Buffer's <laughs> famous let's get ready to rumble. <laughs> had to play that to introduce um, the reports we shared on the stuff going on up there at the Capitol. One thing we should uh, also take note of is that 
we got us a, uh, a bill to fund the government out of the House. That, of course, has now been passed by the Senate, headed to Joe Biden's desk for signature, and that is the old continuing resolution. We just keep on spending money just like we have been. It is equivalent to the current level of spending. That's why it's called a continuing resolution. It's just a resolution to keep going the way we are. And uh, those extend through, uh, it's, it's laddered. That was what the speaker wanted. Extend through the end of January, part of it, and then the other part through the first uh, couple of weeks of February. And then they got to get back on it again to get some bills passed to fund the government. So it's just the same old song, yet another verse. We didn't accomplish anything by flipping the speaker of the house. And in fact... The latest on that issue is that the Speaker was handed a significant legislative loss yesterday by blocking in the House consideration of a spending bill just one day after approving the stopgap measure, which required most Democrats to also join with most Republicans to pass that, but a number of Republicans objected and voted no to the continuing resolution but so now the deal is they've got to they've got to pass some rules they've got to adopt some rules with respect to uh, negotiating spending bills under regular order we've shared that with you before there there would be 12 separate bills but yesterday 18 republicans joined 207 democrats in torpedoing the procedural vote on the legislation that essentially would fund uh, one of the bills that would fund Commerce and Justice Department and some other agencies of, of lesser notoriety for the entire fiscal year 2024. So, in other words, we got a continuing resolution that keeps everything open through January, February. Now we got to, uh, in earnest, start negotiating the bills that will be uh, that will fund the government for the entire year, not just a couple of months. And the first thing they got to do is is go through some procedural votes to see, hey, would you accept this bill as drafted coming out of committee? And they said no. So here we go again. <laughs> Uh, and the speaker's kind of he's kind of puzzled by this. Welcome to being the Speaker of the House of Representatives of the United States. Uh, makes hurting cats honestly look like shooting fish in a barrel. Uh, that is just incredible in my view, just one day after passing the stopgap measures. This, I think, is a harbinger of what we can expect, which is there's simply no alignment. No alignment whatsoever. We got to talk to you later in the program about Representative Chip Roy, the firebrand Texas congressman who went to the well and got pretty mad about the entire spending, negotiating, funding process and had some very harsh words uh, for the body. But it's time for a break right now. The Element Well Studio relocated to the Jackson Convention Complex for the End It For Good convention and when we return it's dr randy easterling family care physician and addiction medicine specialist stay with us we're coming right back middays with gerard gibbert let's do this on super talk mississippi 
Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays. We're live at the Jackson Convention Center today for the End It for Good conference. We welcome to the program now Dr. Randy Easterling, family care physician and addiction medicine specialist. And also, Dr. Easterling, I, I just got to share this. There was a time when you were, I believe, president of the mississippi medical association and i'm not sure if you remember sir but you and i participated on a panel discussion in oxford in oxford yeah and i think that was 2009 2009 you got a great memory and that was just before we were we were talking about health care reform as as sort of proposed by the obama administration uh that was uh absolutely transformational legislation finally passed as you recall in march of 2010 Mm -hmm. you and I were part of a panel moderated by Andy Tiger. We were just talking about what is all this going to mean. And what I remember more than anything before we get into the meat of our discussion is a lot of people just said this thing's not going to pass. And if it is, the Supreme Court is going to strike it down. And I remember so vividly saying it's going to pass and it's going to be permanent. It's going to be here forever. And that's what we got. Well, well, John McCain, I think, gave that to us. He did. When he went thumbs down. <laughs> when he went down. the thumbs down, <laughs> yeah. uh, we had an opportunity at least to scale it back. It wasn't full repeal, as a lot of people think, but the proposal at that point when McCain was in the Senate was to kind of scale it down somewhat. Yeah. But he said no, and that ended that. All right, so at the end of for Good uh, conference, of course, you being an addiction medicine specialist, that's what this conference is all about. I know you were just making remarks here uh, to the attendees. What was the message there? Well, what we talked about it mostly is opioid use disorder, which is uh, an, a, a pandemic in and of itself. Uh, in 2021, we lost 100,000 Americans from accidental drug overdose. 75,000 of those were from opioids. And of those from opioids, 75% of those <clears throat> were fentanyl. Wow. 2022, we lost 110,000. So we went up 10,000. And 75% of that was opioids, which comes to about 82 2000 and uh, 75% of that was from fentanyl. We lose about 225 Americans a day from uh, opioid use disorder. Or people that overdose from opioids, yeah. not necessarily opioid use disorder. And what I, the, one of the messages I try to get across, especially to the younger people, younger than you and I, is that if you're on a college campus, if you're hanging around with your friends, if you take a pill that didn't come from a pharmacy, you have to understand, did not come from a pharmacy, it has fentanyl in it. End of discussion. Really? Any pill you can buy out here that didn't come from pharmacy has fit in there. Now, the only question is how much does it have? You know, okay. fortunately, most of it doesn't have enough to kill you. But uh, unfortunately, we see a lot of people, especially younger people, that are dying from fentanyl overdose, and they're not... They don't have substance use disorder. They got it because they thought it was Adderall okay. you know, to study. And it may be Adderall, but it's got fentanyl in it. Well, even though it's a small amount, not enough to kill you, as you say, is is it enough to addict you to the fentanyl itself, which ultimately you can t- continue to ingest could kill you? Sure. Uh, of course, a lot of times they don't know. Well, most times they don't know there's fentanyl in it. So if sure. they survive, they yeah. just say, thought they took Adderall and got sick. Gotcha. Uh, but it can, it's certainly highly addictive. It's, very, it's a very fast-acting opioid that, of course, has deadly effects. Mm, man. And so is the problem, Dr. Easterling, is it more pronounced in Mississippi than the nation at large, or are we about kind of in line with that? Where do we stand? Well, when we had the prescription problem with opioids uh, a decade ago, uh, we were writing more uh, hydrocodone than any other drug 
uh, in, including high, antihypertensive medication, diabetic medication, cholesterol medication. In Mississippi, we were wow. right. The hydrocodone was the number one. I think we've kind of gotten our arms around that, but now we've got the fentanyl flowing in from Mexico, coming from China. And uh, so it's it's so cheap and it's so available. If you want that high, it's just there, hmm. you know? Yeah. Well, has the has the has the the uh, the healthcare industry changed and sort of learned from the the over prescription of uh, hydrocortisone, for example? I, I know pharmaceutical companies have been sued over, over this yeah. and, and lost those lawsuits. So where do we stand on? Yeah, I think so. And and let me make something perfectly clear: the large majority of physicians, ninety-eight, ninety-nine percent of physicians that wrote opioids on a regular basis did so thinking it was helping the patients. Okay. Okay. Uh, if I used to run an emergency room, if you came into my ER twenty-five years ago with a sprained ankle, you got ten or fifteen narco. Okay. And so we had to. We I educated myself, and we. Through numerous uh, venues, have educated healthcare providers that number one, uh, Tylenol and Motrin works just as well, if not better, for most pain than does uh, opioids. Okay. Number two is you don't need to give as many. We used to give thirty. Thirty was just kind of a routine thing. Now you really don't need to give over ten at the most. Okay. You know, so uh, it's an education process, yeah. and I think sometimes. Uh, the public was left with the impression that doctors and nurse practitioners and dentists and all that and pharmacists were just out there giving this stuff away so they could make money. And yeah. that's not the way it was yeah. at all. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, the last thing you want as a physician, I'm sure, is somebody calls you, man, I'm in pain. And you, you feel like, well, maybe we didn't prescribe properly or, or yeah. sufficiently or something like that. I mean, I, I'm a person who's had surgery, you know, one-day surgery in the hospital, and you may have pain after that. You get a prescription for that. Mm-hmm. I never took any because I never had any pain, and I was always afraid that I don't have any pain. I don't need to be taking this drug. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's fairly common, though. Yeah. Uh, if, if you've got 100 people in the room and I give every one of them a prescription for hydrocodone, a 30-day prescription, and they take at least one pill a day for 30 days, um, about 60% of them are going to end up taking it five years later. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. All right. So the end of for good, um, you know, Christina Dent, of course, who, who uh, runs this and, and Brett Montague and founded this organization. What do you think about uh, their, their ideas and their approaches to addressing a drug addiction. Well, one thing, and I'm not that familiar with uh, In It For Good. I try to accommodate and try to speak when when I can yeah. to anybody that's legitimate, and they certainly are. I think what they're doing today is interesting, and I think it's beneficial because they're getting different perspectives on how to treat substance use disorder. My talk was on basically using buprenorphine or suboxone to treat opioid use disorder, and that's very common now. Uh, I'm on a SOARS 3 grant from SAMHSA, and that's mm-hmm. pretty much all I do. Uh, and so I think it's very beneficial. But there are other avenues, too. There's, it's not one pill. Uh, that's yeah. not, not one thing is going to take care of it. Metaphorically. Uh, yeah, not, not going to take care of the yeah. problem altogether. Well, I think one of the concerns is that uh, our, our laws are such that just sometimes simple possession of uh, illegal drugs, that lands you in jail, could be for a long time. You're really not curing the problem. You're still yeah. addicted. You come out, you're still addicted. Well, if you believe... 
what we believe and what has been shown scientifically that substance use disorder is an illness. Yeah. Why would you like someone up for being ill? Now there are exceptions that obviously if you're sure. selling the drugs, sure. give, you know, but Committing uh, crime. We 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 need to have more treatment oriented opportunities instead of um, prison opportunities. Yeah. You know, yeah. we got way too many people in jail as it is. We can't pay for it, but uh, divert some of that money into treatment. And unfortunately, because of various and sundry things, uh, instead of going up on treatment in Mississippi, we've actually come down on the number of beds we have available for people to have substance use disorder, and that's very, very unfortunate. Is it, uh, where do you stand on this? I've heard physicians talk about just some of us are born with this inclination just to be addicted, have have this kind of tendency, whether it's drugs or gambling or, or something else. Do you think there's truth in that? Is that just something that's kind of embedded in you? Yeah, I, I think there's some truth to it, but I see it as a combination. Okay. okay. Why do young men uh, tend to abuse their spouse, their wife, more if their father abused their mother? Because they saw that that's the way the man in my life dealt with frustration and anger. And I think when you grow up in a family where someone abuses substances, be it alcohol or other drugs, you say, well, that's the way, and it's a subtle thing. That's the way you deal with anger. That's the way you deal with depression. That's the way. You, and so I think it's a genetic component, certainly, and it's a psychosocial and environmental component. That, that I, I kind of go the middle of the road on it. Okay. You know? So it's sort of back to this, this uh, situation where the uh, a functional, stable home means a lot to oh, producers. Yeah. And no. productive, stable adults. If they experience that as a child, the deck's against, stacked against them big sure. time. And that's that's certainly one of the huge problems we have in this country, and I guess worldwide, but probably more so in the United States. There's just too many uh, kids out there that don't have fathers. Yeah. They have mamas, and the mamas, in most part, do the best they can. But I'm a real believer. I grew up in a in a two-parent home, and and I think that uh, that was invaluable. Yeah, you know? there's no doubt, and, and as you well know, it's a big problem here in the state of Mississippi as well. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah, Good to see you again, Dr. Easterling. Yeah. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks for all your wisdom, sir. Appreciate okay, it. Thank, thank you. you. Yep. Folks, we're stepping aside for a break. The Element Well Studio down at the Jackson Convention Center for the End of For Good Conference. Uh, we've got Representative Lee Yancey at 11.50. Stay with us. We're coming right back. Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. Everyone, it's midday. Super Talk Mississippi at the Jackson Convention Center. We're here for the End It for Good conference. We have promoted Representative Lee Yancey. We gave him a longer segment. He's here with us now. <laughs> Representative Yancey, good to see you. Hey, I'm glad to be here, Gerard, in downtown Jackson. <laughs> uh, we are. So 
we should point out that this facility is is really nice. It is, uh, it is high, high it's quality. fantastic. Yeah, this looks like a famous architect designed it. Maybe uh, IMP or something <laughs> like that. It uh, no, it's a really good place. And something else I noted, I walked into the the main hall there when Doctor Easterly was speaking, and the acoustics are really good in there. And, oh yeah, uh, yeah. So that's for a big room like that. It was it was uh, well designed and architect and planned. We do need to improve the parking, and that's been that way since this uh, facility was built. Maybe uh, the city of Jackson can address that. I hope I'm okay with the parking as long as the security is good. Well, I agree, and I've seen police officers walking about around here today. So, what brings you here to the End of for Good conference? I know you well, served as the chair of the drug yeah, committee as a drug policy <laughs> chairman. <laughs> In the House of Representatives, I have helped this group and others. Uh, one of the things that we passed that they were lobbying for was the fentanyl test strips, take, yep. taking that off the paraphernalia list yep. and making that uh, not a criminal offense to have a fentanyl test strip so that we could try to save lives so that someone wouldn't make uh, a bad mistake that became a fatal mistake. Now, one of the things they told us today in the, in the, in the conference is that the leading drug that's causing all of the problems now is fentanyl, mm-hmm. and it is worse than any other drug. It's 30 times as strong as another opioid, and uh, you know, the PMP program, the Prescription Monitoring Program, did what it was intended to do. It, it got the uh, pretty pills out of the hands of everyone, the Percocets and all the things that people were taking. And now uh, fentanyl has come in and taken the place of all those things. Yeah. And what we're seeing is, is a spike in, in deaths as a result of that. Well, Dr. Randy Easterling was on in the prior segment, and he, sh- he shared some information that was just staggering to me. He said, if you're seeing a pill, buying a pill, coming across a pill, that did not come from a pharmacy. It's just a single pill somebody's offering you. You can rest assured that it's been laced with fentanyl. That just was incredible. And and rule number one is never take a pill that came from somewhere other than your prescription pill bottle. Yeah, absolutely. And so that was just stunning to me. But I I think if, if... people keep that in mind perhaps they can avoid uh these these situations these catastrophic situations but uh, so the test strips how's i know i know about the the, uh, the legislation i remember you coming on and talking about it christine as well with the end of for good folks uh, how's that going i mean is that is that being used do, do we have any data reports about the sales of those strips i i'm confident that it's being used i, I do not have any data to to back that up but i mean it was something that that was really really pushed uh to get done and i know that those that were pushing it uh also have have talked to me and said they are going to make it known and they're going to make those available uh so that people who take a pill can test it to make sure that the presence of fentanyl is not there uh just uh, to have that you know to know that that's not in there not going to kill them what else is uh the end of for good team what are, what are they asking of the legislature lee that any other policy matters they they want to advance we we have talked from time to time about a number of different things and um you know the pill press bill was one of the things that we passed in the 2022 legislative yep. session basically saying if you're in possession of a pill press you have to register that uh you know, because a lot of times these pill presses were used in the making of these illegal pills, in the pressing the fentanyl into the 
whatever the other drug was. And so uh, generally we're, we're looking at ways to try and stop the making of illegal drugs and to try to help people know what they're taking uh, so that, you know, uh, a bad mistake wouldn't be a fatal mistake. Yeah. Uh, what about on the on the uh, judicial and law enforcement side? Any any reforms that they're seeking there? Any reforms that uh, you're hearing being discussed among your legislative colleagues? Well, one of the things, you know, End It For Good is doing is they're trying to approach um, drug enforcement from a completely different level, you know, and, and I don't know... Um, I'm not suggesting that I'm 100% on board with this, but I'm listening today to what they're talking about. But it is the fact that all of these drugs are coming in from cartels in Mexico. The Chinese are supplying these drugs to the Mexican cartels. The, The Mexican cartels are getting them across the border, and they're infiltrating across the United States. Um, you know, if there was a way to, um, to try and deal with drugs, uh, where they were not just, uh, as I hate to say, just legalize all drugs. And sure. uh, that may be too broad to say what End It For Good uh, wants to do. But the fact that it is illegal kind of spikes up the gang violence and spikes up the competition among the cartels yeah. and and causes a lot of the violence that occurs as a result of the drug trade. And so if, the, if, if it was normalized and if it were regulated so that everything had to be tested and everything had to be, you know, um, you know somewhat regulated, treated, re- treated like a regular drug, I yeah. guess, there would be a whole lot less interest in making money off of it because um, there would be an alternative way to get it. Yeah, because right now it just seems like they've got the upper hand and uh, people are being harmed, they're, they're dying, at, and, and they're getting rich in the process absolutely, is what's happening absolutely. right now. And, and throw in, um, you know, the, the gang situation and the, the cartel situation and, and an open border that is not being uh, monitored effectively. Yeah, um, you know we don't know what's coming across our southern border. Absolutely true. the uh, The medical marijuana program that uh, you were involved in the legislation for that uh, it is it is up and, and running. Uh, dispensaries uh, are open. Folks are getting their their cert- certifications, their certificates, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, to be able to purchase the products. A lawsuit was recently filed by. Uh, one of the retailers, one of the dispensaries in North Mississippi, he's suing the state over the ban on advertising. There were some pretty strict guidelines and, and regulations in the bill uh, dealing with advertising, and he says it's uh, it, it is in, uh, on his First Amendment. Well, that's you know, it's America. He can sue whoever he wants to sue. <laughs> Uh, this is a medical product. It is available only to those who have certain debilitating conditions, who have seen a practitioner, who has helped them to apply for a card from the Department of Health. Normally, people who are advertising for their products are advertising towards 100% of the population, yeah. and they are saying, hey, come and get this. This is available. But in this case, we, we only have 30,000 cardholders in our state at this moment. Now, it's growing, but those cardholders are the only ones who can go in those dispensaries and buy that product. And so to say that uh, he's being discriminated against, everyone who gets a card knows 
they are going to go and get that product at a dispensary. Yeah. And so what we did at the legislative level was we, we let the Department of Health and Department of Revenue um, regulate that, but we said that they could they could provide restrictions on advertising, but they could not. Uh, prevent appropriate signs on the property of the dispensary. They could not prevent listings in business directories or in phone books, listing in cannabis-related or medical publications, display of cannabis and company logos and other branding. They could use displays in their web in their company websites. They could show pictures of the products. So, and they could sponsor health or not-for-profit charity or advocacy events. So, we've given them a lot of ways that they can get the word out about their dispensary being open uh, they can advertise in those particular medical um, journals and um, they can reach that group of people that has that card you know we do not have a recreational program right. we're not open to the public for 100 percent of the people to come into a dispensary and so this person ought to be targeting those people in their area who have a card yeah yeah, he's he's suing the uh, Mississippi Alcoholic Beverage Control Bureau, the Department of Revenue. His attorneys say that this is this a clear violation and infringement on his First Amendment rights. Um, I, my guess is that the issue is that you said thirty thousand have have a card at this point. I've heard from industry experts, Representative Yancey, that we need to get to 50000 for the industry to be fully viable, and I haven't done the math on that. That's just what I've heard from folks. So, Well, we had generally said um, 2% of the population, 3 million people, you're looking at 60000 60, yeah. So we're at 30000 uh, We are growing as fast as any other medical program in the country has grown. We are not behind. Uh, these companies scaled up as if we had a mature program from day one. And before day one, they were growing as much as they could possibly grow. And now they've got a warehouse full of yeah. it and don't have enough people to sell it to. Yeah. And so somehow that's that's the legislature's problem and that's the Department of Health's problem. You know, it's not our job to help them make money. That's right. It was our job to make there be a way for patients with these debilitating conditions have an alternative to these opioids uh, and now they've got that way to do it and so it's going to grow at the rate it's going to grow and um, you know and it's a lot better than it was we got 30,000 cards double what I heard last time earlier this year we didn't we got to go appreciate you coming on representative Lee Yancey's been our guest we're stepping aside for a break we're at the Jackson Convention Center for the are we going to do this middays with Gerard Gibbert keep rolling three two on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Middays is at the Jackson Convention Center today for the End It For Good remote. And if a good conference going on here today, we appreciate uh, the good folks at the End It For Good having us on hand. And we welcome to the program now a little surprise guest. We found him walking around in the halls here, uh, Representative Nick Bain from up there in Appalachia, as I like to call it. Beautiful part of the state. Representative Bain, thanks for taking a couple of minutes to come on the program. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Gerard. It's always good to be with you. And uh, 
like you said, just walked in the door and saw you here, and, and uh, glad to accommodate. And yeah. Glad, and thank you for having me. That's awesome. So first, um, sorry to see you go from the legislature right now at this point. I know you ran a tough race, a good race, and just didn't work out. Um, uh, honestly, I, I enjoyed seeing you on the floor there, working with you here on the program. I'm sure we'll keep doing that. What are your plans at this point? Well, you know, we're going to uh, we'll be around. I, I plan to do some work for some people this coming legislative session, um, working on continuing these issues like we're here today for End It For Good, for these, these drug abuse, these uh, overdose issues, criminal justice reform issues. Uh, those are things, as you know, that are near and dear to my heart, yep. and we've worked extremely hard the last four years to move the needle uh, to help people get the help they need instead of just locking them up and and throwing them away Uh, because as you realize these people uh, that suffer with these and i call it a disease it is a disease uh, they need help and we need to uh, change the stigma somewhat and give them the help they need so that they can uh, have a life uh, and and be be productive members of society. I, I appreciate what End It for Good is doing here and and trying to change the narrative about these issues that it is a mental health issue and not necessarily a uh, law and order issue. And, let, and let's be clear and please clarify this for the audience, Representative Bain, that we're not talking about people who are dealing drugs, involved in drug distribution or, or sale of illegal drugs. We're not talking about people who have committed any sort of violent crime, uh, which would also in, include uh, a theft, larceny, uh, all that that includes. The, the legal terminology kind of escapes me, but we're talking about people who just have simple possession. That's right. That's and, right. And we're locking them up. And we're, we're locking not getting them, up. them the help they need to, to quit using drugs. And then it becomes just an endless cycle for them. And we're locking them up at the at the click of $20,000 a year, taxpayer money. But that shouldn't be our big issue. The big issue is saving that life and, and getting them to a, a place to where they can be, like I said, a productive member of society. Um, but, yeah, that you're exactly right. We're not talking about the bad people. We're not talking about the people that need to be locked up. Uh, your sex offenders, your violent offenders, uh, your drug dealers, your traffickers, and people like that. We're talking about the people who are just out here that got caught with uh, some meth that uh, that they're trying to fill a void with, that they're using that meth to try to fill a void to, to heal their pain or whatever the reason they're doing it for. We're talking about those type of people that, that Gerard, as you know, touches just about every single life, every single demographic in our state. And uh, uh we need to be better and change our heart uh, with some of those people. So and I appreciate you being here and, and talking about this issue. Yeah, and also these are people who have never been a threat to society other than themselves. It's threatened their own well-being, honestly. These are not people who have harmed anybody else or, or stolen their property or anything of the sort. We, we, don't, uh, we don't disagree that they should suffer, suffer the full consequences of the law. They should be punished for, for those crimes. 100%. 100%. So, yeah, I'll be working on those issues uh, still coming in the, the legislative session and still, uh, to your question, I'll be practicing law back in Corinth doing that stuff. Uh, and I, the, the speaker has appointed me on a couple of uh, – Speaker Gunn has yep. appointed me to a couple of, of, of task force and committees. You know, the speaker gets several appointments for stuff throughout the state. So I'll be doing that. I, I intend to stay involved and intend to uh, still uh, – 
be a part of the policy-making decisions of Mississippi. Okay. Well, I, I look forward to seeing you down at the Capitol. we got a uh, busy session a couple of months away here, less than a couple of months yep. away. They'll be down there starting it over again. And, uh, you know, one of the things that is top of mind is, is the state's budget. You know, the governor makes as a priority full elimination of the income tax. I'm sure you're aware of the legislative budget office meetings yesterday. It got a little testy. It did. It did, uh, and and it needs to happen. The elimination of income tax. I think the state of Mississippi can bear it. I think that uh, you know the House had pl- plans. We did it a couple years ago, and uh, I think it's. I, I live next to Tennessee, and I can tell you people that live in in Tennessee and work in Corinth, and the reason they live in Tennessee is because they don't have to pay an income tax. Yeah, so. I've heard some say I would move over the, the state line there, move into Mississippi if we could uh, equivocate that. It's, so, it's true. It's yeah. a true story. Appreciate you taking a little time to come on with us. Representative Nick Bain has been our guest here at the Jackson Convention Center. We're at the End It for Good conference. After Fox News and Super Talk News, it's Mary Beth O'Connor, retired judge and author stay with us To the show that challenges you to think deeply deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone hour two of middays we are live at the jackson convention center for the end it for good conference on this friday eve (laughs) we welcome to the program mary beth o'connor retired judge and author mary beth thanks for joining us on middays thanks for having me so what brings you to mississippi i read a little bit about uh your bio and and coming to this conference uh uh, share with our audience a bit about your story so i grew up in a really abusive household which is a common entry point to having drugs look like an attractive option Um, i started using alcohol at 12 and by 17 i was shooting meth on a regular basis i didn't get sober until i was 32 so it was a really long haul um, but I did finally get sober. At six years sober, I went to Berkeley Law School, and at 20 years, I was appointed a federal judge, and I took, I always emphasize, early retirement. <laughs> um, and now I do a lot of speaking. I do workshops and trainings, and I talk about my story, hopefully as a stigma reducer, as a sign of hope for someone who's had, so, I mean, physical child abuse, sexual child abuse, multiple rapes, violent boyfriend, and yet, and 15 years using meth, and yet able to find a happy productive new life Um, and here is an opportunity to talk about that as well as the multiple pathways so not everyone gets sober the same way there's different approaches and that's sort of part of my focus well uh, the first reaction is 
congratulations for honestly for surviving all that and overcoming all that and uh and then excelling and being a very productive member of society uh because often folks that are dealing with substance use disorder uh they're not really producing to their full potential uh, for society but more importantly was there a time mary beth when you felt like this is it this is it's over i'm not going to survive it there was a time, a long time, where I really believed that using substances was my best choice. I mean, I really thought my pain was so deep and so vast that I could either commit suicide or have a mental breakdown and get committed to a facility, or I could keep using. It was really, those were the choices that I thought existed. I was wrong, but that's what part of what kept me trapped for such a long time. Wow. Um, unbelievable those kinds of obstacles to overcome so what what's the message here today the end of for good organization of course is an advocate uh for uh, approaching this issue uh, in a more innovative manner than just locking people up and throwing the key away and letting them serve their time and then we release them back into society and they still have the same problem yeah, they have the same problem. They have a lot of consequences in their life from a criminal record, right? You can't get housing. You can't get a job. You can't get some benefits. And so that's all problematic. Part of what I talk about in hopefully an effort to increase understanding is that a very high percentage of people that develop a substance use disorder, it's a pain management strategy. Hmm. And so it's often due to trauma history or mental health uh, that could be because of life experiences or it could just be biological, that you were born with that mental health condition and one of the the challenges and I, I have i will have 30 years sober in january and a lot's changed and now we really focus on addressing both the substance use disorder and other mental health conditions from the beginning because if they're both tackled from the start the odds of success in getting both under control are going to be a lot higher yeah you know as a business person always focused on economic and economic issues i just wonder what in the world is this costing society just dealing with this issue or members of society that aren't able to perform up to their potential? To some extent, we're all paying for that. Well, I'll say this, that criminalizing, putting someone in jail or prison costs three to four times as much as treatment. So you could treat three or four people for the same amount as incarcerating one. And that, to me, is an important data point that I'm not sure people fully appreciate. Um, so, but yeah, it's, I mean, there is the financial cost in society. There's the family disruption. There's the pain of the friends and families who are watching their loved ones, you know, have such a horrible experience. Yeah. But the person struggling with the substances is not having fun either i mean it's a miserable existence it's chaos and obsession and pain and loss and so anything we can do to help people get back on track is going to be better for them better for the families and better for society as a whole yeah and then the cost to, to their loved ones and their families i uh in, you know like representative bain said in the in the last segment virtually everybody's probably had to deal with this in some form or fashion and I, I know that a lot of business folks, like myself, as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, you know, if you've got somebody on staff, or more importantly, if somebody on your staff has an issue in their family, it affects their performance. I mean, it's just hard to, to deal with that and, and work with a clear mind. I mean, it's true. And, and I will say in, in my 30 years, the way that we, um, the approach that, 
is recommended for friends and family is changed. We used to talk about this bottom out idea that you really can't help people until they have some horrible, horrible bottom, but that that's actually not a good approach. People die waiting for a bottom that's bad enough, mm-hmm. but also tough love, cutting people off from the relationship with their family has a negative impact. Mm-hmm. And there's a new approach. It's evidence-based. It's called Craft, Community Reinforcement and Family Training. Okay. And there's a really good book for friends and family that I always recommend. It's called Beyond Addiction. And it can really help friends and family understand what's happening and why. Um, also, what role, positive role they can play. It's more a positive reinforcement approach. But it also does uh, let them know what their, their limits are as a family member. But if, if someone can maintain that positive, loving relationship with their family, their odds of success are going to be higher. Mary Beth, what do we need to do from a, a public policy perspective? And most of this, of course, is handled at the state level. What do we need to do? And are, and are states starting to get on board with reforming in that area? I mean, we definitely need treatment on demand, which most places do not have today. Sometimes I think Americans don't fully appreciate that. There, there isn't low, you know, affordable, accessible treatment for everyone. It just isn't there. And if we had that available, catch people when they're ready to go in we don't put them on a wait list for three months or you know or or longer where they drop off or drift away that would be a real positive step forward and then there is the new idea of harm reduction where we want to meet people where they are and give them supports but harm reduction it's uh it's about the short term let's you know keep them alive until they're ready but it's also about relationship building people with substance problems who engage with harm reduction advocates and, and programs they actually have a much higher uh odds of going into treatment because they feel connected and cared for, and they trust the recommendation for resources. So those are some ideas. In in your travels and in being involved in events like this, are, are you seeing attitudes change across the country? I think things have definitely gotten better than they used to be. Uh, we still have a ways to go. I mean, there is uh, substance use disorder is still the most stigmatized mental condition, medical condition in, in the country. And yeah. people, on one hand, we, we seem to say, well, it is a disease or, or you know, a brain disorder. And on the other hand, we blame people for having developed it. And that's a contradiction. And so, but I do think people are getting better at understanding that it's a medical condition and that we need to view it as such and that we need to attack it as such. And that's really where we need to go in the long run is to always be thinking about what's the best evidence, what's the science telling us as to how best to help the people that are struggling? You know, Dr. Randy Easterling, who was also a speaker here uh, at the event, was on earlier and, and just talking about how so many of our young people, they, they see this, they learn this from the adults um, in, in their their home life, in their environment, when they're growing up. And they just tend to think that's the way you're supposed to conduct yourself as an adult. I mean, this is a problem in our country, and it just seems like there's a lot of people uh, in our nation that are uh, almost denouncing the nuclear family. Well, I mean, I will say, first of all, the number one abused uh, substance in America is alcohol. And okay. sometimes we really underappreciate that. Despite the overdose epidemic that has been in the media a lot, more people died from alcohol in the same, you know, in 2022 than died of opiates. Okay. And, um, but you're right. If there's uh, unhealthy use of substances in the family, often what the ripple of that isn't just the example. It's that there isn't a good 
um, a good approach as to how to handle emotions, as to how to handle conflict, as to how to resolve problems. I know in my house, because of the abuse, there was no direct connection between my behavior and what happened to me. And that's not, uh, that, that has consequences in the rest of your life. It took me a long time in sobriety to realize that actually my actions are the number mm-hmm. one contributor to what, to my future, to my outcome. I wasn't taught mm-hmm. that as a kid. There wasn't that connection. And it's important to have that. Interesting. That makes sense. And of course, a, a child needs that. Uh, in their home life they need that away from their home life when they're in school as well i mean all the adults with whom they interact that needs to constantly uh i guess be kind of pounded into their brains honestly that's true and and sometimes people ask me what's the number one thing we can do to reduce the substance use disorder rate in america which by the way is one of the highest in the world and one of and my answer to that is always mental health treatment for children if we can get kids the help they need early they're much less likely to develop a substance use problem later on Understand. Mary Beth O'Connor has been our guest. We appreciate you coming on, Mary Beth, and appreciate you being here in Mississippi and addressing the End It For Good conference. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Folks, we're stepping aside for a break. The Alamut Well Studio at the uh, Jackson Convention Center for the End It For Good conference. We're coming back with more. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. What? What? This is so awesome. On Super Talk Mississippi. The blues has got a hold of me. I believe I'm getting dizzy. Welcome back, everyone. Middays at the Jackson Convention Center for the End It For Good conference. We are in the Element Well studio again. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. And, of course, Rhino, it is uh, Friday Eve a.k.a. Thursday, so that means it's In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, presented by Superior Catfish. Today on In a Mississippi Minute, you'll hear an interview with Mississippi music historian Wesley Smith. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar is presented by Superior Catfish. Remember, there's catfish, then there is Superior Catfish. It's U.S. farm-raised catfish with homegrown flavor. Ask for it by name at your favorite store or a restaurant and go to superiorcatfish.com for more info the sports talk boys they're on the road again on the road again today they're going to be live inside the golden moon casino at the pearl river resort learn more about everything that's happening over there at the pearlriverresort.com tomorrow the boys are headed up to oxford 
They're going to be in Oxford for the start of the fourth annual Holly Jolly Holidays. During the Holly Jolly Holidays, there will be an ice skating rink, Santa plus more, and be listening for more info about the filming of Small Town Christmas in Oxford on Saturday. And, of course, Middays is going to be up in Cleveland next Tuesday, Rhino, I think, for the 50 Nights of Lights. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember last year it was about 30 below. As I recall, outside, uh, it was quite cold, uh, but uh, we endured it and had a big time up there. Downtown Cleveland, beautiful, beautiful uh, Mississippi city. Look forward to that remote last week. The company behind the Miss Universe has filed for bankruptcy after accepting transgender contestants. The Miss Universe organization has declared that this year's pageant will aim to be quote a top-notch experience provided (laughs) to our fans Uh, top-notch i guess because it's got males men participating unbelievable there is a transgender business person and i can't say the last name uh rhino jack root Jack Rajaja Tip of the JKN Global Group. They bought this organization. I do remember that news for twenty billion dollars. That up uh, twenty twenty million dollars. Pardon me, not twenty billion. Twenty million dollars in twenty twenty two. She was he. I don't even know who was intent uh, was uh, of international fame as a transgender celebrity described the $20 million purchase at the time as a, quote, strong strategic addition to our portfolio. But as it stands right now, a year later, it don't look like that's the case. It looks like it was a bad investment because, of course, you let guys participate. And people don't want to see that. Where are the feminists? Where are the activists? I mean, this is this is belittling, is it not, to females? Demeaning to females? Where are they? Isn't that what the feminists advocate for? Women's dignity and rights? Well, this is anything but that. Nobody wants to watch a Miss Universe pageant. This got guys in it. When are they going to wake up and realize that? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. My uh, my daughter, who uh, has been paying a lot of attention to all the stuff going on over there in Hamas and the, the various protests across this country and where folks come down. Uh, I know you're a, a consumer of, from time to time, TikTok, and I think most people in that age group are. She's well, I don't from... have TikTok, but it eventually leaks out of TikTok onto other social media platforms, and I see okay. it there. I got you. Uh, so well, what she's telling me is that, you may have seen this as well, just from the leakages you described, that uh, there are a number of uh, young folks in this country now that are repeating the hashtag Osama bin Laden was right. That's on the heels of the Hitler was right. Have you seen this, Rhino? Yeah, you see oh, what's yeah. going on? Yeah, it's been a a series of videos, and there's hundreds of them that have gone viral on TikTok because that's the whole thing with TikTok. It's nothing really original. It's just one person has an idea or an idea is put out into the ether by bad bad interests, such as China, 
and then the algorithm makes it go viral because everybody's copycatting. But yeah, it, it's basically people reading Osama bin Laden's letter to America, yeah, and agreeing with what he had to say. Unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable to me. Do, do they not? Are they just oblivious to, or are they just dismissive of, or uninterested in what happened on nine eleven? He is the mastermind behind that. It was his deal. And then he was assassinated by Navy SEALs when Barack Obama was president. Are they just oblivious to this? Do they just choose to ignore it? Kind of like the atrocities committed by Hamas on civilian Israelis on October the 7th? Just don't recognize that? I'm just blown away. This isn't a political matter. This is just a good versus evil. How, how can people be so just insensitive, inhumane, just downright stupid, honestly? Well, an entire generation has been brainwashed to believe that America is this evil entity that must be deconstructed. That's crazy. And so they literally hold this country as being more evil, more wicked, uh, more inhumane than Osama bin Laden and Adolf Hitler. I just can't even comprehend it. I don't even know where to start with that. It's so absurd. And it's disturbing. It's because you have a functioning, fully developed frontal lobe. Oh, that's what it takes? Okay. Well, we're we're losing somehow the, this, um, the future generations that will run this country. We're 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 losing contact with it. it. Feels like it now. Maybe I'm I'm overreacting and I'm not taking into consideration what is likely to be a very large so-called silent majority that also believes this is nonsense and garbage. Um, but you don't hear from them as much, and it could be because they fear for retribution if they speak up. And that's the problem because the. The stupidity and ignorance of the left and those that espouse their ideals is a very vocal minority, but it's also, quote-unquote, popular. And when you're that age, popularity is everything. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, the old days, it was uh, when I was younger, it was just hanging out in the halls with the popular kids at school. Now, though, I guess with social media, it's just much larger than that. And, you know, what your your images and your reactions and your your rhetoric can make its way around the globe instantaneously. And, of course, it says you say it's the dopamine factor at play there, which is a little greater than just hanging out with two or three people in the hall. So uh, it's sad to me. And I, I, all of this, I still believe. The epicenter of it is uh, America's colleges and universities. I do believe all of this started with the ridiculous DEI movement. I hope you folks see what you've done. You've brainwashed generations of people who who are into this Marxist ideology because that's what that's all about. CRT, it has its roots in Marxism. It's divide the oppressors and the oppressed and that's just uh, the essence of uh, Marxist doctrine. Yesterday we had Joe Biden meet with President Xi of China out there in San Francisco. You saw they tidied the place up, cleaned up all the sidewalks, and provided security. Pressure washed, got uh, relocated all the homeless, 
it looked like the old beautiful San Francisco that I recall. So it can be done. But they did it because Biden and the president of China were in town. Unbelievable. Not because it's just the right thing to do uh, in a an American city. So they gathered up. And I got to tell you, Joe Biden, that may be his worst public performance ever. His voice was more faint than ever. He was more confused than ever. You may have seen that Secretary of State Anthony Blinken had to give him kind of a nod to tell him not to dig into too many details about this country's plans to deal with the Israeli hostage situation. And then when he addressed the press, he was scheduled for that conference to be available to take questions for an hour. He cut it off at 30 minutes. And all he did was bloviate a bunch of nonsense and struggled figuring out who to call on, what's your name, what's your network. It's just awful. You know the President G was watching all this, and he's calculating his response. I don't believe a word the guy says, honestly. We're stepping aside for a break. We're coming back with more. We're at the End It For Good conference at the Jackson Convention Center. Dr. Deborah Mash, neuroscientist and inventor, joins us at 1150. Stay with us. Attention, adoring fans. It's time for Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. It's middays. Today we're in downtown Jackson at the Jackson Convention Center for the End It For Good conference. Coming up in the next segment, Dr. Deborah Mash, neuroscientist and inventor. She is an inventor of one of the world's, uh, she is one of the world's, pardon me, foremost experts on the anti-addiction drug Either Ibojane or Ibojane. We're going to find out how to pronounce that when she comes on. Looking forward to that discussion. So we were talking in the last segment about this meeting between the Chinese President Xi Jinping and and uh, Joe Biden. I, I just didn't feel like they accomplished anything. And but what bothered me is looking at some of the video, viewing some of the video. The president looked. Uh, Biden looked much weaker. I did kind of a side-by-side comparison to the last time he met with the Chinese president. He looks like he aged 10 years, sadly, over the last year. His voice was more faint than it was a short year ago. I mean, this is just a function of aging. We're all subject to it. The difference is he's president of the United States. And he was walking with that shuffle, but it looked even slower to me. And and then the other thing was he just he frequently lost his his whereabouts and it seemingly and, and was kind of at a loss for words or saying the wrong words. But what he said in the press conference was that he had a very productive discussion. I, I was shocked that he felt that uh, they had a productive discussion. I, I didn't really see that. 
he he said something to the effect that uh, the president has agreed to like take his calls. Did you know that was an issue, Rhino? That apparently <laughs> President G was not responding to requests for communication from the White House, and he made that sound like that was a huge accomplishment. Um. They said, we're going to get our experts together and discuss risk and safety issues. He said, U.S. and China would talk more about artificial intelligence. But honestly, Xi Jinping didn't make any of what I thought were concrete commitments. They said that, uh, so that, by the way, the resumption of communications mainly centered around military-to-military communications so that our defense secretary could speak, Lloyd Austin, I believe is his name, could speak uh, with his Chinese counterpart. Um, once someone is on the job in China. So, I mean, I don't know how this is such a, a huge accomplishment. Here's what bugged me, though, folks. There was nothing about COVID and the origins of COVID discussed. Nothing about the spy balloon that traversed the country, nothing about fentanyl, which is something we've been talking about today, and China is the world's largest source of that, and, and the, uh, the scourge it is inflicting on our population, nothing about the spy facility set up in Cuba. Nothing about that. Why is it that we're so, we're so appeasing so appeasing to this administration, to every person and every entity in every country, except the people that are on the other side of the political aisle to this administration. They're the absolute fascist devils, end of democracy and the, the bane of our society. But these people, such as China, who I still believe have their sights set on displacing this nation... As the global superpower, I still believe that totally. And he was also noncommittal on any standing down of of uh, overtaking Taiwan. Really didn't express that I could tell anything again concrete that you could take to the bank that yeah we're going to just leave Taiwan alone. I I didn't hear that, see that at all. So. This was, um, I felt, an unproductive meeting. And then the American president to stand before the press after such a major event as a meeting on our soil with China, the Chinese president. This is huge. 30 minutes? And, of course, 10 of that was him reading from a teleprompter. Not very well. 30 minutes. And when he left, as is always the case... If you've seen it, the press was screaming at him because they had such a long list of questions. Of course they would. Uh, to know, what did you guys talk about? What can we expect? What agreements were made? What did you come away with as action items that you couldn't agree on? I mean, that's what the world wants to know. And we didn't get that. And i got to believe that that press conference, that presser, you know, if he didn't watch it live, that President Xi of China's now viewing it, probably sitting back and laughing. Thinks this guy's a joke. Now, he says China is ready to be a partner and a friend. There was also a meeting 
with a number of of large American corporate executives because many of them have reduced their operations and have relocated much into this country because China's making it virtually impossible, honestly, for them to do business. I shouldn't say impossible. Very, very difficult. And it's starting to take its financial and economic toll. Uh, I'm told that Elon Musk left early. (laughs) He stayed for a while uh, but didn't stay for the entire dinner. So... He assured that no matter how the global landscape evolves, the histor- I'm reading, the historical trend of peaceful coexistence between China and the United States will not change. Does anybody believe that? I- I'm still on the side of believing that he unleashed the coronavirus on this country intentionally to wield carnage, and it did. It upended this nation, and in many extents, to, to many extents, it changed it forever. So I, um, I'm disappointed in the performance of the American president in this case, and and this is where you do need a stronger personality, like a Donald Trump. Honestly, I mean, I think that's what a lot of people uh, miss from the Trump years is just his ability to interact and stand strong, stand strong, and be America first in any sort of negotiations and conversations and interactions with with foreign dignitaries, and especially foreign political leaders like this. Uh, so I think uh, that is something that we certainly miss. I think the nation sees that. If you watched Biden's performance yesterday, surely, surely you saw that. Shaq, Bully, and Pelosi, uh, and Biloxi says it's called the wussification of America. It's It's sad. Dan in Hattiesburg, Gerard, it kind of reminds me of when King Ezekiel showed Israel's treasures to the Babylonians. They came back later and conquered the nation, stole their wealth, and enslaved the Israelites for the next 400 years. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so what are you, what are you sending here? Uh, okay, this is Thomas Greenwood sent a tweet from Elon Musk, and this is a response to, I can't hardly read it, honestly. Uh, it's not coming through real well. Uh, Jewish communities have been pushing the exact kind of dialectical hatred against whites that they claim to want people to stop using against them. I'm deeply disinterested in giving the tiniest S word now about Western Jewish populations coming to the disturbing realization that those hordes of minorities that support flooding their country don't actually like them too much you want truth in your face there it is uh, who is that from right now i can't tell the art artist formally known something and Just some elon- random twitter account that elon okay. musk replied to yeah okay so this was some from some w- w- random like rhino said twitter account they got eighteen thousand likes by the way 255 quotes elon musk said you have said the actual truth that is interesting wonder what that means Oh, this was in relation to your comments about the TikTok stuff, is what Thomas and Greenwood says. Yeah, that's true. I mean, this is the kind of kind of nonsense that gets widely distributed and taken as truth. And I saw some reports this morning. You may have seen that, Rhino, that uh, the vast majority of people in this country, between a certain uh, in a certain age range, get most of not just their news but their information from TikTok. Did I get that right? Do you see that? There's some concerns about that. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. Which the concern there is the information being provided by 
TikTok to the American audience is vastly different than what is being provided to the Chinese audience. And TikTok is a is a an asset owned by China, no doubt. And there are more members of Congress that are calling for a complete ban of the application of the platform in this country as a result of some of the stuff that's been floating around. Incredible. Really is. I'm just trying to add context to the dislike of Israel, says Thomas and Greenwood. Literally every media outlet, aside from maybe Fox, is totally on the side of Hamas. That does seem to be the case, and that is very disturbing. And I think this all stems from all this DEI CRT stuff. I really do. I'm, I'm certainly open to being proven wrong, of course, but at this point, that's where I stand. Dr. Deborah Mash, neuroscientist and inventor, is next on Middays. We're at the Jackson Convention Center for the End It For Good conference. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Come on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's Middays. We're live at the Jackson Convention Center for the End It For Good conference. We welcome to the Element Well studio now Dr. Deborah Mash, neuroscientist and inventor. Dr. Mash, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. All right, so the... Um, this this conference, the End It For Good conference, uh, and the End It For Good organization is, is focused on, I guess, innovative and alternative approaches to treating substance use uh, disorder. That's really what this is all about. So tell us uh, why you're here exactly and what your message has been today. I think you were a speaker today, right? I am. Yeah. All right. So tell us uh, what your message is and, and also uh, talk about uh, your invention. I'm a CEO founder of a company called Demerex, and we're working on advancing two molecules for the treatment of addiction. These are non-addicting alternatives to buprenorphine or suboxone sublocade and methadone, which offers patients another tool in the toolbox. Okay. Um, methadone and buprenorphine, of course, have saved millions of lives, but you're treating an underlying symptom of a disorder, acquired disease, if you will. If you never use drugs or dope, you're not going to get become addicted, right? But yeah. when you do, your brain gets hijacked, you get locked into an intractable cycle of use. And what we are doing is we've uh, working off of a discovery of a molecule that comes out of Western uh, Equatorial Africa from Mother Nature. You know, Mother Nature gives us addicting drugs, right? Opium, <laughs> nicotine, cocaine. Yeah. Yep. So here's kind of nature's potential antidote to addiction. Okay. I heard about this in 1993. I went overseas to see it with my own eyes. I saw young men who were badly addicted to uh opioids and another one to cocaine and i saw them almost what appeared to be miraculously sprung clean from their addiction and i thought what is this and i couldn't do a lot of science but when i was there because it wasn't really a a proper medical uh, you know academic medical unit but i came back 
with uh, urine samples, as a matter of fact, and we discovered an active metabolite of this molecule. But this drug is a psychedelic medicine, and it's part of the new psychedelic renaissance mm. that we're seeing in mental health today, the understanding that, you know, we have a serious mental health disorder that we simply cannot afford, and we're doing the same mistakes over and over again. So we've got to think outside the box. And these new medicines, which many of them have been around for a long time, are being developed right now. So in other words, FDA is getting ready to approve MDMA for post-traumatic stress disorder. There's also clinical trials with fully synthetic psilocybin for treatment-resistant depression. People who suffer from depression that, you know, pharmaceuticals can't work. They don't work anymore. And then for addiction, you know, how do we how do we break the cycle of addiction? Can we get people, can we treat the underlying disease and offer patients another tool in the toolbox to get to sobriety? And that's what I'm working on. So I, I asked uh, Dr. Easterling earlier, Randy Easterling was on our program, a Mississippi physician. Uh, I play golf with lots of physicians, and I, I've asked them about the, just substance abuse and, and uh, this problem. And, and they indicated that there some people are just born with this tendency see this inclination just to be addictive um, and, and be addicted easy to it could be anything not just drugs but um, any sort of other potential vice or anything it, is that kind of what this is treating here is it sort of targeting those electronics in the brain so, so to the, speak you know that's a, it, you ask a very fundamental question some people can pick up a line of coke or do an oxycotton and they're never going to get addicted right okay. but other people who maybe are use that drug the first time feel normal they report that you know wow i i felt normal my anxiety my depression uh social phobia and some people are self-medicating trauma childhood trauma sexual abuse you name it the list goes on sure so there is that risk and that is a genetic risk of familial history of alcoholism you know, yep. that's inherited. Sure. So we know the genes are involved. Okay. There's also epigenetic risk. This is, you know, you, if your loved one, if your mom or dad or somebody in the family was addicted to drugs or alcohol or they sustained trauma, that's recorded in the DNA. And that's, you can have multi-generational trauma. Okay. All right. So you think about families without fathers and kids that are in homes that are, you know, suboptimal in terms of parenting. Those are traumas that are multi-generational and they're locked in in the DNA. Okay. Well, that's that's it's fascinating. And so you you said earlier we're we're in some uh, level of clinical trials at this point, not we, fully approved. We are, we are. Um, I had gotten FDA permission to do this in 1993, and I went back again in '95, got the full green light, but I couldn't fund it. Okay. Because you know, the first of all, psychedelic medicine yeah. that has a bad connotation. Yeah. Start there. Yeah. But nonetheless, this is a, a non a non addicting alternative. And, you know, there shouldn't be one pill fits every person. It's not going to happen. And for people who want to have an alternative to staying on a lifelong uh, course of methadone or buprenorphine, this could be a a change. Well, that's exciting, and and I I wish you all the best. I mean, all the tools that we can have in the toolbox to treat uh, this issue is, uh, is welcome for sure. Indeed. Appreciate you coming on. Dr. Deborah Mash has been our guest. Folks, we're stepping aside for a break. It's top of the hour. That means Fox News, Super Talk News. When we return, it's Representative Sam Creekmore. Stay with us.
Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour three, the afternoon portion of Middays is back with you. We are at the Jackson Convention Center for the End It For Good conference on this Friday Eve. We welcome to the program the Element Well Studio here in the lobby of the Convention Center. Sam Creekmore represents District 14 that incorporates Union County up in northeast Mississippi. Representative Creekmore, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Gerard. Always a pleasure to be on here. And I was going to tell you, Journey, every now and then comes to Tupelo. <laughs> That's right, they do. <laughs> I didn't get to see them last time they came uh, to Bancorp South Arena. Uh, I am headed to see them uh, out down on the coast in yeah. February. They start their new Freedom Tour. I think they kick off the tour, if I'm not mistaken, at the Mississippi Coliseum down there on the coast. Looking forward to that. appreciate it. Uh, all right, Representative Creemore, we got to end it for good, the conference going on here. Uh, in, anything with respect to your legislative responsibilities that connects to uh, the subject matter here? Well, I'll tell you when Nick Bain, who you had on earlier, yep, and he's chair of Judd B, and we had this hearing, and he said at the end of the hearing, we're going to let Creekmore be chair of the subcommittee on drug in the state of Mississippi. Yeah. Unbeknownst to me, I had no idea. <laughs> but how could I say no? So one of the first things I did, and it ended for good, was having a conference in Hattiesburg, and I went down and learned a lot and got to know these people. So they've helped uh, the framework on some of our drug education, uh, fentanyl test strips and that kind of thing. They've been very supportive of that. So, yeah, they've been a very uh, big part of what we're doing in the legislature. Well, um, and to a great extent, of course, as you know, what they advocate for is is innovative approaches to treating substance use uh, disorder and, and and something different than just a person who's nonviolent who really hasn't hasn't committed in any sort of crime other than just possession, for example, of an illegal substance. We just lock them up. It's you're exactly right, but you know, I, I try to look at the bigger picture, even beyond just the illicit drug use. As you know, I've, I've been an advocate for mental health in our state. Yep. And, and many of these drug abuse are, and addicts start with mental health issues. And especially with our young people now, uh, I read some recent stats that 54% of young people don't feel like nobody knows them well. Yeah. 45% feel hopelessness and despair every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that, that can lead to other things. So, you know, I, I look at a bigger picture and, and on the mental health side of it, and and w- I tell you, and I'm, I'm speaking later on, and I, I want to try to make yeah. this parallel, but in the 1990s, I know you remember it, uh, AIDS was a crisis in the state of Mississippi. Yep. And in 1995, 48,000, 50,000 Americans died from AIDS. And if you remember, there was the federal government, state governments, communities put lots of resources toward finding cures, public awareness, uh, destigmatizing people with AIDS, and 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 so 
began to decline from that point. In 1999, there were 20,000 drug overdoses in the United States. Last year, there were over 106. So we're at that epidemic proportion, twice what we were with AIDS. And so I would like, you know, make people aware, put the federal resources, put state resources uh, toward mental health and and drug education and solutions and and treatment. And as you... And you know people who've gone through and who've been addicts and that have overcome it. And they look at life different from most people. They are thankful. They're humble. They're glad to have a second, third, or fourth chance. Yeah. Um, and so that's that's what I hope we can get out of this. And everybody start working toward a common goal, end it for good, recovery. Because um, it, it's an illness. Yeah. And let's put put our resources toward it and work together to make this happen well we had mary beth o'connor retired judge and author on the program earlier i mean her story is one that i think exemplifies what you just described overcame the most incredibly impossible odds grew up in an abusive household uh was an addict herself overcame all that became a federal judge i mean it's incredible and and we were talking off the air about the organization you're on the board on Canopy, mm-hmm. and I think about those children and the help they're receiving. And if they didn't have that, they could end up in, in very serious. So they are in serious situations, but it could, you know, the path to drug abuse is is definitely on on one of, on their radar without help like Canopy, which is mental health. Yeah, it's it's all about behavioral health. Uh, in, in the case of Canopy, it's, it's treating children yeah. with behavioral health uh, conditions. And, and if they don't get on the right path at an early age through uh, through that therapy, yeah. that it's really kind of up in the air as to what their productive life or their adult life, I should say, will look like. And they described to me, as, you know, some of them have gone through these trauma situations where they get them in there and they, they're able to, as they would quote, rewire mm-hmm. and how they think, and they come out healthy, no doubt. And and so that that's there's so many things we got to look at and work on. It, and I'm I'm so thankful. End it for good has these conversations that bring so many people to the table, so we can have, discuss it. Not we're not always going to agree on how the best way to do it. Not there there may not be a singular way that's the yeah. best way. Any any legislation that may be on the horizon, Representative Creekmore, that uh, in just in your discussions and your sure. analysis of this issue? Well, you know, we, we passed the drug education bill last year, which, you know, we can't control what comes across our borders. Uh, and I've talked to police chief across the state. Some say we may get 12% of actually what's flowing into our town. We may get 1%. They really don't know, but it's not a very high number. So... The best way we thought to combat this in the legislature was was to educate our young people and and our parents too. And we're starting out, and it goes through the Department of Mental Health with the uh, drug education program. And there, we'll have some pilot programs. We have enough money maybe to do ten ten schools in the, throughout the state. The Department of Education is going to send out a letter. The schools will apply, and then we'll implement this curriculum in the schools. We hope to see that grow. Uh, the legislature did not fund it completely and and it's fine we need to get it fine-tuned before we take it statewide and so that's that is what we're working on now and we'll continue to work on that and find home fine-tune that going forward of course chris bell passed the strips and you know and fentanyl test strips fentanyl test strips uh you know I, i don't know if we can make drugs any more illegal than they already are but 
the, to be to me are combating it with the education, and especially fentanyl. Seventy percent of overdoses are, in Mississippi are due to fentanyl. Yeah, and the, fentanyl, the size of a grain of salt, is is deadly. So, just making people aware and and be able to, if they're going to participate in that, have a way where they can test it. Let's turn our attention to the upcoming session. Uh, what do you What are you hearing? What are you seeing? Of course, we just finished uh, some very contentious elections in some cases, and and we'll be back down there in less than two months. Uh, things stay the same in the governor's mansion. Lieutenant governor will have a changing of the guard at the speaker of the house. Uh, your chamber. What What are you hearing about what's going to be on the on the radar? Well, it's definitely going to be a change uh, for our speaker for sure. But I, I still think uh, Jason and, and Philip Gunn were pretty much in lockstep on so many things. And uh, the way Phillips left the legislature, it's, we're, we're kind of all in, in tow. Even with, with the Democrats, we, we agree on most things. Yeah. And, and so I, I think we're in a good spot for leadership change. I don't think it can be will be very rocky for that, and, and which I'm, I'm proud for Jason for that to make it easier, especially – with the lieutenant governor and governor side, that didn't change. So, yeah, yeah, I think it'll make his transition smoother. You know, and then as far as chairmanships and all, <laughs> you know, that's a that's a big topic. Anytime you get <laughs> one or more legislature to get legislator together, <laughs> but I, I don't. I have not had a conversation with Jason. I, I don't know what he has plans for me or, or many of my other colleagues either. He's he's keeping it all pretty close to his chest, but. He is an outstanding person, and I look forward to working with him. Well, in my conversations with him, what I can say is that he's going to have a full agenda. I mean, he, he's got big ambitions, which is good. He wants to take on a lot, I mean, across the spectrum of public policy. Yeah. And and even bring up topics that Republicans may not even usually talk about, like right. Medicaid expansion right. or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, but at least we'll have that conversation and, and explain reasons, yes or no, what what's good and what's bad. Yeah. So I'm excited about it. Well, um, it's that there'll be a change there, but uh, that would be the only change of the trio of the folks at the top there, and, and who knows where we'll land with respect to committee chair appointments and so forth. But we'll uh, we'll be all over, and I'm sure you and I will be talking some more. But we appreciate you coming on the program today. Always enjoy Representative it, Sam Creek Moore has been our guest, folks. We're stepping aside for a break. We're in the Element Well Studio at the Jackson Convention Center for the End It for Good conference, and we're coming right back. The stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert, Middays with Gerard, Super Talk, Mississippi.
Welcome back, everyone. It is middays. We're down at the Jackson Convention Center in downtown Jackson today. We're here for the End It for a Good conference and enjoying the setting here. The sun is about to poke out of the clouds. It looks like we're in the the big uh, entry foyer, and it is all glass. We're looking uh, to the north, and I see Scary Gary out there taking in the sights. I'm keeping an eye on my vehicle as well in the parking lot across the street, uh, just in case, you know. So I saw uh, Rhino an article from Wallet Hub. I subscribed to Wallet Hub. They have some interesting statistical data from time to time. This one, specifically this morning, concerns credit scores, credit scores across the um, the country, the states with the highest and lowest credit scores. Highest credit score, Minnesota comes in at 725, New Hampshire trails a bit at 721 on down the list vermont massachusetts wisconsin north dakota washington south dakota hawaii montana top 10 all of those uh, above 715 lowest credit scores 41st kentucky 42nd south carolina at 687.1 in the 600s all the way down to Mississippi, ranking 50th at 672. Uh, this is a bit disconcerting to me. This is just an, another economic metric where we don't show so well. And I, I think it's a function, of course, as is so much else um, in the state of Mississippi. It's a function of, of poverty and just the, the lack of, of uh, affluence. And the large number of citizens in our state who are impoverished. And so, uh, I, you know, I've always provided a, um, proposed, I should say, this idea of installing giant digital signage in our Capitol, in each chamber, in the House, in the Senate, which would display our per capita income, our household income, and our ranking nationwide in those two categories. I'm wondering if we shouldn't add credit score to my idea as well. Of course, those are somewhat inextricably linked, I believe. But all of our lawmaking, in my view, and all of our our policy deliberation should always have in focus those metrics. Because when those numbers move up, and we improve and increase in those areas, then I think we will realize our fullest potential. I do know the governor. He he tracks this. He he um, he's focused on it. He talked about it on the campaign trail. We have made some great strides in that area, but I think we have a lot more potential. We could do a lot more, and it's all a function of growing our state's economy and in good public policy that enables that and serves as a catalyst for economic growth is the key and i feel like we're on our way there we got more work to do 
so I'm certainly not condemning or being critical of our state. I'm just reporting what is the fact and the fact with respect to our average credit score as it relates to other states. And we're, we're in 50th place there, as we are with respect to per capita income and household income. But again, some, some wins in the economic development project arena could turn all that around. And I think we're well on our way. I really do. I think we've created an environment that is conducive to economic investment and expansion. And we're seeing a lot of other states especially the deep blue states who are just scrambling to continue to raise taxes and expand the regulatory framework and make it just miserable, honestly, doing all kinds of changes in their their school systems, which are also a critical component of attracting new business into the state. It's just the quality of the public schools. We've got health care challenges as well and those i believe are being addressed the governor focused on that more work to be done uh, and he realizes that but uh just want to pass that on that's where we rank 50th in terms of of credit scores uh, there is another area where we did not make the list which i think is a good good thing rhino it's the top 20 american cities for adulterous behavior And this is revealed by, remember, the rather controversial dating service, Ashley Madison. A lot of people got outed on that. Well, they got hacked, remember? And names were floating all over the place. Um, But this was an exclusive look from the Ashley Madison chief strategy officer. (laughs) Uh, 20 cities, 20 cities across America where the most Ashley Madison accounts are based. So that's on that basis is how they... They deem they're the most adulterous of cities, but top of the list, Miami. And then number two, Orlando. So the top two are in Florida. Three, Atlanta, four, Las Vegas, five, Tampa. So the top five have three in Florida. What's up there in Florida? Better watch your spouse (laughs) if you live in Florida. Six, Cincinnati, seven, Minneapolis, eight, right next door, St. Paul. 9, Buffalo, 10, Pittsburgh, 11, Denver, 12, Cleveland, 13, Tucson, 14, Colorado Springs, 15, Anchorage, 16, Bakersfield, 17, Aurora, 18, Seattle, 19, Washington, D.C. I'm surprised it's not higher on the list. And then 20, Portland. Not really too many in the Deep South. Um Certainly in the deep south where we are, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana. Don't think any made the list at nearby Atlanta in Georgia. I don't recall any from Texas on the list either, Arkansas, et cetera. I thought that was kind of interesting. I don't know how the heck they go about figuring that out other than you, they got the most accounts. If that uh, could be equated at least and could be extrapolated as meaning that that's where the most adultery Occurs that, of course, that would not include those engaged in adulterous affairs that do not have Ashley Madison accounts. So, there you go. Down there at Southern Miss, you seen this rhino? The one of the lowest paid research schools. Some of the professors want to change that dynamic, and they've been protesting. Hattiesburg American reports this is um, hasn't really gotten a great deal of attention across the Magnolia State. Well, it's because it seems kind of silly considering they're so far in the hole already. 
How are you going to yeah. give everybody a raise when you don't have any money? You're upside down. That's absolutely uh, true. And I'm looking at some photos of the protesters uh, down there at USM. And uh, one of them says this protester's holding a sign, we'll work for fair pay and fares in all caps. Sometimes I just want to say, well, then go work somewhere else. I mean, nobody's putting a gun to your head making you work there. You knew that going into it. I get it. You're unhappy. You make more money. But rather than just demanding your employer just hit the hip and pay you more, just go work somewhere else. If you're worth what you say you are, you should have no problem. Landing a job elsewhere, making the pay that you seek. Talking about $15 million is necessary to address the salary discrepancies and the salary demands. This is according to Jeremy Scott, president of the AAUPUSM campus uh, chapter, pardon me, uh, AAUPUSM. UP, I have to look up exactly what that uh, stands for. Uh, the American Association of University Professors. There you go. And so this chapter at the at, uh, University of Southern Mississippi, along with the United Campus Workers, sounds kind of union-esque to me. They're basically saying we need more money, and they estimate that to be $15 million. And, of course, they are... Um, indicating these groups that the state produced a $700 million surplus in the last budget, so there's money there to pay it. Man, I tell you what, you, <laughs> you produce a little surplus, you got a little extra dough, and everybody absolutely comes out of the woodwork, do they not, Rhino, with their hand out? Gimme, gimme, gimme. The governor, meantime, is trying to cut taxes, and he he believes the surplus and the, and the consistent production of a surplus does give cover and justifies reducing income taxes in the state. That is a high priority for the governor. I'm, I'm with him on that. And put more money in your pocket. I'm all about that. But I will say we got to address PERS. That's not going away in any discussions about income taxes, and the governor knows this has to include consideration of PERS needs. We're under a contractual obligation there for some parts of it. We're coming right back with more in the Element Well studio at the Jackson Convention Center for End It For Good. Bring it on. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk Mississippi. Back everyone, it's midday. Super Talk Mississippi live from the Jackson Convention Center. The End It for Good conference going on down here today. We're pleased to be a part of that. Chief Brendan Cox will join us in the next segment. He is a retired police officer. We look forward to those discussions. So we were talking about the protest down there at uh, University of Southern Mississippi. The Members of the faculty, many of them are protesting to get higher wages. They were 
We're um, in Shoemake, Southern Miss Shoemake Square. This was on Monday. Faculty students turning out to rally for fair wages. See, this is sometimes I feel like not being taught in economics classes or just in general. What, the life uni- isn't fair? <laughs> in university settings. Uh, this idea of fair. You see, the market determines what is fair. The market does. The buyers and the sellers. In this case, you're selling your labor. It's a commodity. The buyer is your employer. This is what you agree to. If they need to pay you more in order to keep you, for example, or because you're such a critical component of the operation, then the market will dictate that they do. All you got to do is leave. But if you stay, well, then the market says, you know, I don't really have any other options outside of here that are palatable. Therefore, I'm staying. But to stay and say, I just want you to pay me more, make me happier, that that's really not the market at work. Just not. And that seems, that concept seems to have been pushed aside in society these days. Well, I mean, what's fair? Define that. It's the same thing with taxation. They just got to pay their fair share. Well, define that. Nobody will. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, fair share equals X? Not me. Never heard it. They won't touch it because they don't know. It's just empty, lip service, populist rhetoric that seems to resonate with losers in society. Yeah, you go get them, government. Go make them pay more. And most of them, they're just permanently aggrieved. They're resentful. They're envious. They're jealous. All the above. It's it's ridiculous. I just want to say, get your butt back to work. Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, speaking of... This uh, rather raucous behavior we've been talking about up there in the Capitol. Wow, Senator Chip Roy. Uh, He got a little pugnacious, shall we say. We shared with you yesterday, Senator Mark Wayne Mullen confronting the Teamsters Union uh, individual who was testifying there in the Senate, and he basically stood up and challenged him to a little little fight, little fist fight, right there in the Capitol, in the U.S. Senate. And he's a former mixed martial arts fighter, is the senator. And, of course, we had um, these allegations, at least, uh, by is it Representative Burchett, I think, Rhino, that... Um, <laughs> That Representative Kevin McCarthy elbowed him in the kidney while they were just walking about in the Capitol halls there. All this on the same day. And then we got we got Representative Chip Roy. He gets pretty fired up. This was over the spending strategy. This was on the House floor yesterday afternoon. I mean, he basically just tore into his Republican colleagues and and honestly, the Republican leaders in the chamber as well, once again, over these this approach to passing spending bills, just as we 
articulated earlier, same old thing, continuing resolution passed. And it was nearly an hour the firebrand Roy spoke there. Yeah, but one line he uttered sank all of it and means that none of it was actually standing on principle. What's that? It was to make his political life easier because he came out and said, give me something to go home and campaign on. (laughs) Of course. Oh, so you're saying the representative is concerned about and focused on getting reelected. Ding, 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 (laughs) ding. I'm looking at the quote now. When we come back from Thanksgiving, I'm hearing lots of promises about what we will do. Let me just lay down a gauntlet here. We better damn well do it. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. He, um, He said as well, we're pissing it all away. We're giving it all away, all that they fought for, all of those freedoms. He's talking about the members of our military that died for our freedom. Goes on to say, why? Because we're too cowardly to stand up and do our job, Roy said. (laughs) He was shouting too, man. Oh, no, a shutdown. Are you freaking kidding me? Oh, we can't have a shutdown heading into Thanksgiving. What will they say or do? How about we stand up and fight? And you're right. Then he he went on to say he needed something to go home and campaign on. And what he was looking for in his district is, look what we did. We shut it down. We stood our ground. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So, and that, maybe that is uh, sellable. Maybe that's attractive in his district, right? We shut it down. But in others, it's not. And that's the problem. There, there's no consensus on this matter. Polls show most Americans do not favor shutting down the government as as a way to achieve uh, reform in the budgetary process. Now, it, you know, when you're looking at that, it depends on your district, though, because, as you know, the districts are all, all drawn to suit the legislatures, honestly. It's their whims. Wow. Also, Joe Manchin, he's considering leaving the Democratic Party. And he has not ruled out a run for president. I found that kind of interesting. In the meantime, the polls, by the way, recent polls show that Donald Trump still has a commanding lead. And, in fact, um, this was a recent poll run by, by Fox, Fox News poll. Now, a lot of people would say that's tainted because it's Fox News. But in this poll... He leads Joe Biden 41 to 35. Robert F. Kennedy comes in third in this poll with 15%. And that what that suggests to me is that he's probably on somewhat of an even, equal basis siphoning off votes from Trump and Biden. I, I thought that was kind of interesting. In fourth place in their poll, Rhino, Cornell West. Oh, boy, that's awesome. Uh, but it's not just Fox polls, we should point out. The... Um, New York Times, Siena, we discussed this on the show last week, early last week, a a left-leaning media organization. Their polls as well show Mr. Biden losing, and this is the critical, the critical measurement, losing in five of the six swing states, getting trounced, honestly, uh, by former President Trump. You can't help but think that episodes like we witnessed yesterday with Joe Biden just looking so frail, so feeble, so incoherent, that that's going to figure in to how folks vote. 
uh, coming up here next year. It's got to. And then, is he campaigning yet? Is he going to run the same sort of campaign, just stay home in the basement? Nobody knows at this point. Haven't really seen or heard much about that. But rest assured, Democrats are deeply concerned, deeply concerned. Back to this this uh, situation on on college campuses. Uh, Northeastern Illinois University, a sociology professor. Are we surprised, Rhino, that this is a story concerning a sociology professor? What's up with sociology professors? Sent a mass email to all the students and department colleagues rallying support for Palestinians. She claims that Palestinians have faced 75 years of, quote, Israeli white supremacy. That's all you got to know. That's all you got to hear. As critical sociologists, we are trained to analyze and uh, and power and inequality in society. And that this importantly comes with the responsibility to speak up when we witness harm and justice and violence. Stressing what is happening in Palestine is one of those moments. Oh, my gosh. So here's a professor that is rallying support for terrorists on a U.S. college campus. This is insidious. It is abhorrent. And now students of the Jewish faith are saying that they not only are upset, but they're concerned for their safety. As well they should be. When one of their own professors, one of their own professors is denouncing them and making such condemnations. It's just incredible. we got to change this to save this country on America's college campuses. We're stepping aside for a break right now in the Element Well studio at the End It For Good conference, which is being held at the Jackson Convention Center. In the final segment, we've got Brendan Cox, retired police officer. Stay with us. We're coming right back. Days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. Just as I thought it was going all right, I found out I'm wrong when I thought it was right. It's always the same, it's just a shame. That's all. It is midday's final segment here. The Element Well Studio set up at the Jackson Convention Center for the End It For Good conference. We welcome to the program now retired police chief Brendan Cox. He is retired from the Albany Police Department in upstate New York. Chief, thanks for coming on today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So what brings you to Mississippi and the End It For Good conference? So we were invited to come to speak at the End It For Good conference. Um, We've been in talks with the folks, with Christina and her folks at End It For Good for a couple of years, partners, and uh, really excited to be here to be able to share about law enforcement assisted diversion and uh, really talk about how we can continue to move away from punishment and criminalization and really change the way we um, address addiction and mental health issues in this country. 
are the attitudes changing, Chief, with respect to that? It seems like we hear, certainly around in this area, a lot of law enforcement folks feel like, you know, we just got to lock these people up. That's really the, on, the only viable option. And, and don't seem to be, at least at this point, too open to, to as you've called, diverted or diversions, I guess I should say, in, in uh, the approach to this. What do you think? Is it changing somewhat? So I think the attitudes are changing, but I think they're only going to change if we continue to educate and talk through what the real issues are. Okay. I think if we continue to just only provide the tool of enforcement and only provide the tool of jail, then they aren't going to change. But if we don't actually educate officers and we don't actually give other options and explain that arresting people has not worked and that putting people in jail has not only not solved the individual issue for that person, but it's actually exacerbated trauma and harm to that person and to their family and just created further issues that if, you know, we just kick the can down the road and cause more problems for that person and for their family and just continue to create it. And we've been able to show that. If you look at the research, you know, we've been able to show that we increased incarceration rates by 700% for nonviolent drug offenses, yet the use of drugs in this country continued to increase. So if we know that strategy didn't ultimately stop people from using drugs, then why are we continuing to do it? So if we know that, in fact criminalizing this, punishing people, coercing them is not working, then we need to do something different. We need to give people an avenue to help. And especially when we know the underlying reason why people using use drugs. Sure, you can make an argument, okay, was it a choice the first time they used? Sure, you want to make that argument, go ahead. But when it comes down to the fact that when people wind up having substance use disorders, when they wind up with addictions, usually there's an underlying trauma issue, there's an underlying mental health issue, and jail is clearly never going to solve that issue. So we really need to to get that person connected to services. We really need to get that person connected to somebody who can start to unravel that ball of yarn and figure out what's going on in this person's life. How can we figure out what that is and how we get them the help they need so that way we can have a long-term solution? And not just this Band-Aid of, okay, we took care of the problem for 30 days while we put them in jail. And by the way, of course, Band-Aid of putting them in jail when there's drugs that are available in jail and all kinds of other issues that happen in jail. So the fact of the matter is, is that that has not been a solution. And, and, and again, back to, you know, police buy-in. It's a matter of the fact that we haven't given police the tools that they need to be able to take a step back and say, no, you know, we're not the experts on this. We have other folks that are, and we need to be able to hand this ball off to them so they can ultimately do their jobs. So it's it's an educational uh, endeavor, it sounds, to a great yep, extent. It's like, a huge right? educational endeavor and resource endeavor. Yeah. You know, we need to be able to invest in those resources to be able to change this tide and actually change the culture of where we are. Yeah, make, makes total sense. What about just inside law enforcement itself? I mean, that's an extremely stressful uh, occupation and often uh, comes with it lots of trauma for officers and and family. Uh, it, are there substance abuse problems there, too? There's huge substance use issues in, in, in law enforcement. You know, every walk of life there is, but, you know, just to your point, um, policing is a stressful environment. And there is a lot of PTSD, there's a lot of trauma that happens, and like a lot of other folks, you know, we turn to what is the way we can numb that trauma. Yeah. And, of course, we don't talk about the trauma, and because we don't talk about that trauma, that leads to both substance use issues 
and other underlying mental health issues that you know we see a, a huge issue with officers taking their own lives across the country. It makes total so sense. So we need to be able to address those issues and the stigma that comes with that. If we don't start talking about it, if we don't start changing that culture, we're never going to be able to address it. So, so again, it comes down to that education of, like, this is not... um, We have to stop looking at it as such a negative behavior and a punishment behavior and recognize that there is a missing piece to this. There's a coping piece that we need to be able to talk about. Um, we got to go. But the one thing you said that sticks out with me, uh, Chief, is is the statistics of how, uh, our traditional approach to dealing with this issue, but we still have the problem. The problem's still around. So we got we got to take a look and figure something out. That made more sense to me than anything, and, and I hope that message gets out there and we start to adopt some of these, these innovative approaches and reforms. Appreciate Absolutely. you coming on. Thanks for being Mississippi. Thank you. Appreciate it. Folks, we're out of time here today. We're back in the Element Well studio again tomorrow at Super Talk headquarters. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.